All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers, what the fuck buddies, what the fucking ears, what the fucksters? How are you? I'm Mark Marin. This is WTF, my podcast. Thank you for joining. Got up early to do morning radio. I was on Heidi and Frank this morning talking about tonight's episode of Marin on IFC. I might as well talk about it here as well. This is my show. I've been making the rounds at the publicity uh, machine. I was on midnight the other night. Did Kimmel a couple weeks ago. They repeated that. Like I was on, I was Mr. Television Tuesday night. I was on midnight and a repeat of Jimmy Kimmel. Big night of Marin on two different networks. Huh? And then tonight on my own show on IFC, which I, I hope you're watching. Tonight's episode is, uh, is a bit gnarly, funny, deep, uh, a little touching, a bit brutal emotionally. Uh, it's actually based on something that never happened. But l- let me tell you who's on the show here today. Today's Kevin Corrigan. Today I talked to Kevin Corrigan. You all know Kevin Corrigan. He was in Goodfellas, The Departed, Superbad, Pineapple Express, big fan with Patton Oswalt, Community. He's appeared on there. You'd know him. You'd know him if you've seen him. He's uh, He's been in almost every indie movie made in the last 20 years. I mean, maybe that's a stretch, but uh, he's in a new one that we talk about a bit. I was actually only halfway through the new movie uh, when I talked to Kevin. Didn't get through it, but I was enjoying it. I was sort of immersed in it. Uh, I like movies like that. The the last guy that sort of compelled me that way uh, in terms of his art, Joe Swanberg, um, was to me an amazing independent filmmaker. And uh, in this film that I started watching, it's, it's called Results, directed by Andrew Buchalski, who I believe did another film uh, called Computer Chess, which I did not see. But I have not seen his films, but he's clearly a dude with a vision. And I felt that right away when I started watching it. And Corrigan's in it, and he's great in it. Guy Pierce is in it, and he's great in it. And Constance Zimmer, who's on my show as well. But anyways, I was enjoying the film, and I finished it since I talked to Kevin, and uh, I would have told him it was amazing. Because I, I really dug it. it. It was interesting. It was not predictable or hackneyed. It, it, it was a kind of lyrical and poetic. It was a real indie film, and I dug it. So there, there's how I feel about results. The movie, which should be opening uh, any minute now, <laughs> in uh, in theaters uh, in tomorrow, tomorrow, folks. All right. So, anyways, Corrigan's going to be. I'm going to talk to Corrigan in a few minutes. Let, let's make sure I get to everything I want to tell you. I want to talk about. Tonight's episode of Marin, I also want to talk about the Rolling Stones concert. I'll tell you what's going on. Tonight, the episode of Marin was a little rough. It was uh, rough for me to make emotionally. This is the episode that I wrote and directed this year. It is about a hypothetical situation. I don't know how I would handle it in reality, but I did write it. The character of Mark Marin has an ex-wife who has written a book. Their ex-wife's name is Michelle. And uh, she was played by Jessica Mackinson, who played her briefly in the first season of the show. And it's basically, you know, we decide or she decides or, you know, collectively sort of decide that, uh, you know, she, she, I should have her on the podcast to help her sell her book. Her publicist uh, suggested it. And we think we can handle that. And through the course of, you know, moving through the house, which you'll have to suspend your disbelief as being the original house. There's only been one house in the mind of the show. We had to switch houses set-wise because the first house was no longer available to us. But it's all the same house. It doesn't matter. So it's really about her coming back to the house that uh, we had bought together. And uh, 
and there are flashbacks, which is why I uh, shaved my uh, face and cleaned myself up. But uh, but doing this episode and making the episode of Marin that you'll see tonight, um, I was able to really kind of get a little bit of closure that I didn't think I would ever get. It was it's interesting. It's a very raw bit of emotional uh, theater here on Marin tonight, and it's very real emotions. And uh, I hope. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm no, I'm no uh, Olivier, but uh, I was definitely tapped into this thing. So it's, it's compelling and it's raw. And when I watched it again, I, I kind of got choked up. There's comedy in it. Don't, don't. It, it's balanced. But uh, Mary Lynn Rice Cub is also in the episode, as is Dave. Pow! Look out! Just shit my pants. Just coffee. Co-op. Haven't done that in a while. Don't even have to do it, but I did it because I was feeling emotional. And I went ahead and stepped on that with a coffee plug, with a slurp and a plug. Slurp and a plug. I push those emotions down. But watch Marin tonight. I'd like to know what you think. Uh, it's very personal. And uh, I have a lot invested in it. Uh, Acting-wise, writing-wise, and, uh, and also um, directing-wise. It, it was a big thrill to direct, a, to direct this episode. Oh, God, I'm nervous to, for it to be on television. Okay. Rolling Stones. Mark Marin, Dean Del Rey, going to the Rolling Stones. Now, you heard Mick Jagger promise me, Mark Marin, on this show to take care of me. Dean comes over on Sunday. We get we hit the road about two, and we're kind of jacked. We're 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 it's we're, we're early. We're leaving early. It's about two hour three hour two to three hour run down to San Diego. And I'm like, I'm nervous because like, I don't like crowds, you know, parking situations and everything. And, you know, he's pretty sure that everything, Dean's like this president, like, no, dude, it's going to work out great. Everything's going to be great. We're set. We're there. We're there like at 530, 5.45. We park 35 bucks. No problem. Like literally a, a half a block from the stadium. We get out. We go to Will Call. Seems to be a little chaos about where that is doesn't look like there are tickets there and we go to this gate and we're going through and there's someone with a clipboard i'm like yeah we got media uh, will call media will call she gives us these two tickets and we look at the tickets we don't know what it means but we it, it's a3 uh row 11 seats like nine and ten I, I actually remember that and the price tag on the seat was like 395 395 bucks we're like dude what is this where are these so me and Dean are like, fuck, what do we got? And we go, we go down the field, we go, and we're 11 rows up from the stage in the A3 section, which is just stage right. So it's like like right at a perfect angle to see people. We get down there on the field at six o'clock. The Stones aren't going on until nine. Gary Clark Jr. is going on at eight. And he's up there, you know, tuning his guitars and shit. And, uh, and King Zapata his guitar player sees me. He's like, what's up, man? I'm like, hey, dude, you excited? He's like, yeah, pretty excited. Then people started coming. And as Dean said, a lot of reading glasses out. Yeah, it was that kind of crowd. <laughs> you know, people like a little older than me, some my age, but, you know, not a raucous bunch, but a lot of people. But it was, here's the weird thing. It would be very easy for me to condescend to this. And, you know, I am a young, I am on the younger spectrum of the boomer uh, arc that the last one out of the gate really these were people that had a relationship with this band probably their entire life as i did but not in the same way i would imagine that many of these people seen this band a lot 
they were probably growing up around the same time as the Stones. They were teenagers, maybe. You know, I came to the Stones always late to the party, but you know, I you know by the time I was you know listening to the Rolling Stones, I was in high school, and and all their records had been out. So all of a sudden, like this weird part of my heart is opening to all these people that I would generally find annoying. There's a, a vanity to the boomers. You know, there's a, a lot of hair color around. There's a, a lot of strained uh, 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 ego presentation in, in the way of attire, uh, a lot of showboats and whatnot. But whatever, we're at the Rolling Stones show. So I was there and I was excited, but I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know how it would feel. I have a weird thing with older people in that I feel like they're fragile. And it, and it reminds me of my own mortality. And it reminds me, I, I haven't quite put it all together, but I get nervous around elderly people. And, 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 and I shouldn't because, you know, that's where it's all at. You know, that's where the wisdom is. That's where the humility is. That's where... Uh, you know, hopefully a sense of humor and not darkness and bitterness. is. That's where it all ends up, if you're lucky. And I think I'm just awkwardly afraid of the vulnerability that comes with getting old. Inevitably. Inevitably. Because we all fight so hard against that. We just do. It's natural. You know, the, the one thing America is not known for is aging gracefully. Americans in general. To panic about it so anyways a big thing happens on the screen there's like this film strip like the career of the rolling stones and this groovy fucking you know video thing and then like the lights go down and i just feel myself like i'm sitting there like going, what's this going to be about and then like the video happens and i'm feeling like an electricity going through my body i'm like oh my god oh my god the rolling stones and then it's like they introduce the rolling stones and then i hear the, like i hear keith just like plunk out the fucking opening chords of jumping jack flask and i'm like yeah like i'm up me and dean are up we're standing i'm waving my hands i'm pointing at the stage with the little beast fingers you know i'm doing the whole fucking number and then mick comes out and he's he's like old mick man he's like not old mick but like young mick he's like just bouncing around he's doing the dance moves he's doing them like he was fucking 20 like, well, actually, a little better. He didn't really learn how to dance that well until I uh, probably mid 20s. And he's just kicking it. And they're on it. It's the Stones, and it's happening, and they're right in front of me, and I can see him. The screens are going. Ronnie looks great. Charlie's holding steady. Keith is ho- hanging on, just like looking good. No, you know, he's taking all the weird dangly shit out of his hair. He's just wearing a headband. Looks respectable, charming, like the fucking devil. And Mick is just jumping around, doing the dance. It was fucking stunning. 71. 71 years old, jumping around. The lights come down. Mick puts on a guitar and they play Moonlight Mile. They start Moonlight Mile. And Mick fucking hits the notes, the falsetto beautifully. I start weeping. Dean is like, oh, no, oh, man. And like, I'm, I'm crying while Mick is, is singing Moonlight Mile, weeping. He sounded perfect. And then they, you could see the, the, on the big screen his face and you saw... That's Mick Jagger. But within the Mick Jagger head, see what, what could easily become sort of tragic is if, if, if the age beats out the Mick Jagger. Like if, if, if the age consumes how large the Mick Jagger-ness is. And then it was perfectly balanced. There was his face. I could see all the lines of his face and I could hear the thing that you can't hide when you're old in his voice. But it was sounded beautiful. The vulnerability of, of 
of being Mick Jagger or being anybody at that age was coming through in these songs and the audience was moved by it. So like that one thing that I prejudged, this idea that that they would be too old to do what they do was completely leveled by the fact that they are doing exactly what they do because they are exactly who they are. And we were all sort of like in it with them. It was beautiful and it, it, it meant a lot to, to, to know that they're still putting out this, this type of show at this age. It was fucking amazing. It was everything, and goddamn, I, I want to thank everyone involved for getting me those tickets, for getting me and Dean to have that experience. And no, quite honestly, the the playlist on the ride home for some reason was uh, on that two hour run. A lot of Grateful Dead. Me and Dean were doing a lot of Grateful Dead. Little Almond Brothers did some Skinnerd uh, and some ZZ Top, and we and and we played it loud on the way down. Uh, a lot of ACDC, and then we enjoyed the Stones in between those two car rides. It was spectacular great experience and they they were fucking beyond anything i could have imagined all right let's talk to kevin corrigan now i've gotten kind of got gotten into a, a a talk show type thing i got drafted into it i was subbing for someone and then that person never came back oh yeah it's like a, a live talk show yeah on stage yeah and I, you talked uh, to david johansson him and, and and Kim Gordon as yeah. you did. I, I that's I, not easy. <laughs> Nothing easy about that chat. Was there, Kevin? Oh well, I, I ended up. You know, I, I I asked her if I could read some passages from her book. You know, and, and that oh. uh, that was fun just to to. Oh, that that was that's a good idea. It was nice, and just to be up there with uh, with Kim and David, two generations of oh yeah, New York rock, New York yeah. rock and roll was just. It was hard not to get a little self-conscious about that i think i did you grow up with it well you know i i how old are you i'm i'm 46 right so you're close to me i'm 51 that's right yeah you 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 interviewed uh uh, imperial michael imperioli not too long ago so i listened to that are you guys buddies yeah you know i i we 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 met a a while back you know uh he worked in a restaurant with my brother oh yeah uh i think in in his interview with you he called it a wedding hall (laughs) it's a restaurant um (laughs) Are we going to correct that? There's a minor correction. Well, it was a very fancy restaurant uh-huh. in, in Scarsdale. You know, people like Phil Rizzuto would go there. Oh, uh-huh. I think Joe DiMaggio was a good friend of Nat's. Oh, really? People like that would... So is that kind of place? So Italian food or what? Yes, Italian food. Uh-huh. Very, you know, classy place. They would have a, 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 a carnival. Like when you think fancy restaurant. That's it. That was it. But it, they did, they must have done events. He, he had it in his head that it was a, you know, a, an event sort of place. It was definitely like a, like the set of a movie. Uh-huh. So if you, you know, they would have weddings there. Maybe uh, he only worked those events primarily. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was their specialty. They would have these, uh, um, what did they call it? Uh, uh, the Viennese tables. Uh-huh. Uh, I, 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 I guess there was a, 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 a very brief moment where I was thinking of, of, of going to work there also because because the 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 invitation was there the option was sure they and so you wear a white shirt and a bow tie maybe a red jacket a black jacket black jacket Uh, yeah i i think uh you know one day going to a school i went to high school in the bronx at a place called mount st michael for two years Mm -hmm. and, and one day i couldn't find any pants so i grabbed my brother's tuxedo pants you know with the the, (laughs) the the stripe stripe, down the side uh Uh someone 
who I went to school with who worked with my brother at Alex and Henry he goes hey you wearing your brother's pants huh <laughs> anyway um, so and Michael that, worked there too that became your look that became my look sometimes <laughs> occasionally uh, I, I wore a pair of tuxedo pants occasionally yeah with the uh, with suspenders <laughs> they had suspender buttons and they were second hand I got them I, at some point I was doing that that's a style sure it, you know it was I, I don't know what style it was maybe clown <laughs> maybe clown was what I was going for <laughs> but you didn't take the job there no I, I, I'm, just, I'm not a working man you know? no it never were no, it was no. never your thing I've never had a job how many really so how many siblings do you have just my brother and you grew up uh, you, you, grew, you spent your whole childhood in the Bronx yes what part uh, the last stop on the D train, uh, 206th Street. What uh, was that neighborhood like? Uh, diverse neighborhood. I mean, primar- uh, you know, predominantly, I guess, you know, Irish Catholic in the 70s, 80s. Yeah. Uh, but it was a pretty diverse neighborhood. You and know? you're Irish all the way through? Um, Irish and Puerto Rican. Huh. Yes. That's not a, that's not unusual in New York, I don't think, right? Not not as much as you'd... You, well, I don't know if you would think that was unusual, but uh, I had a... a, a friend a couple one or two buddies that i grew up with who who also had like uh uh, uh my friend chris ramos's mom was puerto uh, was uh, irish and his father was puerto rican so we were we we had that in, i had that in common with a, a few people yeah not, not too many do you speak uh spanish i don't and i i uh, i did ask my mother why that was uh, when i was in my 20s yeah and she said my grandmother didn't really want that for my brother and me you know, that's just, she didn't even want that from my mother. Right. I'm like, but you spoke Spanish. My She speaks l- a lot less Spanish today than she did when I was growing up. I guess I, that was to, 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 you know, to sort of integrate. Yes, exactly. Right. You know, I, I do have, I remember, you know, hearing my mother speak Spanish on the phone. Uh-huh. You know, the family was a lot bigger back then. It's kind of, you know, uh, people. Tightened up. People pass on, you know, things change. And, uh, uh, but, uh, yeah, there was a. A very lively scene at my grandmother's house in the South Bronx when I was growing up for Christmases and Easter's, and you know she was very religious. And, and that was the Puerto Rican side. Yes. <laughs> so did, did you get the Irish scene as well? Did you get both sides? There was a time when everybody would make the rounds. Like my uncle Jack and Aunt Mary would show up at uh-huh. my uncle Sam's house. So there was a, a there would be a mix because they all grew up together in the South Bronx in the fifties and sixties. Your mother's family and your father's family. Yes. So that so you go from. Uh, from a very specific, I'd imagine, uh, Puerto Rican Catholic Christmas situation, yes, to a a, a fairly specific Irish Catholic. It, it, it was we would ping pong. We would just bounce the all. The food was town. probably better at the Puerto Rican situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a little more flavor. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, there was something, uh, you know, uh, that both cultures offered. You know, yeah. Uh, like what? Well, you know. Just um, everybody likes to party, you know. Yeah, sure, so, uh, sure. It was a, a, a very uh, um, um, drunky kind of culture. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it had a good, a good. It had its uh, ups and downs. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Um. Uh, but that was the neighborhood too, you know. It's just like a lot of partying. You know, I have a, a good friend. Uh, uh, one of my best friends uh, is from Astoria, Queens. Yeah, I lived there for a few years. I know you lived there. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, he lived on uh, Ditmar's right near the train, and, yeah. and uh, his name's George Silides. Uh-huh. So he's Greek, and he's uh, 
we would uh, often talk about the differences between Queens and, and the Bronx, especially in terms of like drugs and alcohol, mm-hmm. you know, and that the, the Bronx was much more alcohol oriented, whereas Queens was more like codeine and you know, oh, yeah. sort of like uh, quaaludes. No kidding. That kind of uh, head. I don't know if I never, I noticed, I don't know if I noticed that. I did notice like after I went back to New York, like in 2005 or six, I noticed there were dope heads on the train to Queens. Like I, I, I made, I assumed that some of that business must have went elsewhere. That you know, on the Lower East Side doesn't have the heroin it used to. But I saw a few times I would see people looking like they were going to score out there, uh-huh. dip Mars. Yeah, maybe that started where maybe some of that business moved out there. I don't know. Um, I don't. I, I think it was kind of a wide spread. My friend, uh, you know, David Crumholtz lived in in Forest Hills. And uh, he would just talk about how there was like a, 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 a sort of a mental institution out there. So there was just like a lot of crazy people on medication everywhere <laughs> yeah, in, on the island in Queens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like yeah. Uh, where and whereas the Bronx yeah. was a lot more sort of rowdy. You know, sort of uh, uh, you know a lot more drinking going on there. Yeah, what'd your old man do? My my father is uh, was a uh, was is uh, a, a placement counselor. You know he's a headhunter. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's always worked in Manhattan. He's always worn like you know nice suits. He's always taken me out to get fitted for like a nice suit at oh yeah, you know men's warehouse or Barney's or something. You know like uh, ties. He mm-hmm. has a great collection of really tasteful nice clothes. Mm. Uh, and he he worked in an office. He worked in the Daily News building in the early eighties. Yeah. You know where uh, they filmed Superman. So you walk into the. Uh, the lobby and it has the big planet yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah and my my mom is an artist she, you know she's uh she went to high school of art and design and uh school of visual arts and uh you know didn't pursue like a a, a, a career at it but uh-huh. had, but never stopped doing it and passed that on to me so i what's know, her medium uh she's a you know oil painter she's a sculptor uh-huh uh she was a dressmaker and uh, she can write and uh and they're still together they're still together yeah isn't that sweet it is sweet when did you start acting when i was 14 i started going to the lee strasberg theater institute your parents were supportive of the decision to kind of take those classes they wanted you to get involved not not right away they you know they told me to wait a while you know when i told them i wanted to be an actor they said give it a year so I, I did, and then I, I saw... So that was when you were 13? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what I, made I, you want to do it? Well, I, I went to see uh, uh, the movie Terms of Endearment. Yeah. Kind of knocked me out. I really was kind of like blown away by that movie. Jack Nicholson. Yeah, And yeah. Sh- Shirley MacLaine, too. Right. And uh, I, I just kind of really fell in love. I, I was kind of desperate at that point to, to, to pursue it. Just because of whatever that movie, you know, that movie made me kind of, uh, that was some experience. Yeah, it was. It's a real tearjerker. It is, yeah. Takes you on a, real, a little roller coaster ride. It does. Jerks yeah. you around. Yeah. There's a lot of great acting in it, too. John Lithgow, Deborah Winger. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Daniels. Jeff Daniels. Yeah, yeah. The power of acting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm more of a sort of De Niro Pacino guy, but but it was that, that movie was the, you know. What do you think it was about it? Just the, the way you felt? That you were moved? Uh, 
Yeah, I guess it was the. I, I don't know. You know, I, I I've been re- revisiting a lot of a lot of movies. Uh, like uh, I just watched American American Graffiti the other night. Again, again, and just can, can never get over how great you know Richard Dreyfuss is in that movie, and right. you know Mackenzie Phillips, yeah. and Paul Lamatt, and uh, uh, Candy Clark. Everyone yeah. in it. It's just like they seem so real there's yeah. such a, a spontaneity in, 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 the, in their performances and it's like uh, that, that's, that's what uh, it was an infectious energy and uh, that's the, you know when you, it's, it's like what uh, you know John Lennon used to say about you know like uh, about song, uh, songwriting he, he takes hearing something by Mick Jagger to f- make him feel like oh shit that makes me want to make a record <laughs> you know yeah, when, I, yeah. when I see someone in a good movie it makes me want to try to find a, a job like that sure you know. so you start so you you're, you're provoked by uh, terms of endearment to go to East Strasburg it is it was a, pro, a, a provocation in, uh-huh. in, in a way yeah yeah and you show up there at 14 how did, how were you received over there um I think uh, I you know I was never made to feel like I didn't belong there I was I was welcome right away uh, I was just kind of you know uh, the, once I got set loose in that place it was it was the place for me to be for, you were the kid sure. I, I became the kid there, there was another kid there at the time yeah what happened to that kid he's out of the picture now I, I was like <laughs> you know you ain't the kid no more uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, but it, it, it took about a year of uh, of out acting him yeah 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 slowly chipping away at his confidence uh yeah you know i kind of i stole some of his material actually oh, this, did you? this guy was uh he, he, maybe he's still acting he was doing a monologue from the catcher in the rye and i i, I was like pretty amazed by yeah. the material yeah yeah i didn't think he was doing it very well and i asked but it him, was a unique uh, approach to pull a monologue from the catcher in the rye yeah maybe not that original uh-huh. uh, uh but um didn't make any difference. I mean, I, I was like, "That's that book I was supposed to read in my freshman year of high school," and I didn't. So I, I reread it, and I was like, uh, "I I started doing the same thing that this guy was doing, only better." Right. What was the training at that point? I mean, at least Strasburg. I mean, what, what you were just you would work with a teacher. Do you remember the teacher? Did the teacher have an effect on you? Yes, uh, there was a, a man named Jeffrey Horn who was uh, uh, an actor, is an actor himself, but he was in a, the movie The Bridge on the River Kwai, uh-huh. uh, and he was kind of a you know a star in the making mm-hmm. in the fifties, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, and and he was a, a real inspirational guy because he would. Uh, uh, Share a lot of his own like personal stories. But did he miss his? Did he miss his shot? <clears throat> was it like that? A little bit. Mm-hmm. A little bit. But you know, you know, these days I I, I really look up to to him, uh, just for his. I mean, he's he's been he's still teaching there. Is he? Yeah. He's he's a he's a he's a. And what what was it that had such an impact on you? He was just a, a very kind guy. He had a very gentle way about him. Mm-hmm. A very gentlemanly way about him. Um, a lot of the other teachers at that, that, that the school were, were uh, much more strict, much more... I mean, it was kind of harder to get along with some of them, you know? How'd you get discovered? <clears throat> uh, well, I was, I was pretty fortunate that uh, a casting director... Th- there was a movie called uh, Lost Angels. It's uh-huh. kind of a forgotten film, but uh, the pretty big director of that, Hugh Hudson, is a British director uh-huh. and it was a, a starring a vehicle for for ad rock from the beastie boys when he was going to uh-huh. 
be an actor. Uh-huh. And uh, um, uh, they went around to all the schools looking for, you know, they wanted new faces. And uh, I, I got to go in and meet the casting director because of the, you know, the notice that she sent to the Strasbourg Institute. Right. And then they just laid it on me and said, go get it, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so that's how that happened. I ended up getting cast in that movie. And uh, How was it? It was great. I, I made a lot of um, uh, very, I mean, I, I made friends on that project who I'm, I'm still friends with, you know, uh, yeah? to this day. Yeah. How big was the part? Not big. Yeah. It wasn't big at all, but I did work on it for three months. Yeah. Uh, so there you was were just, around. There was a lot of a lot of opportunities just to be around. Uh-huh. You know. Uh, so you got to know what a set is like, how that works, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Uh, it was. You know. I, we we spent some time in San Antonio shooting it, and then they brought us out to L.A. And that, oh, really? that was the first time I ever came out here was to work on That's that. That's exciting. And how old were you? Uh, at that point, I was uh, nineteen. So you were, you finished high school. Uh, sort of. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, it was hard to stay uh, interested in, in high school after I started going to the Strasbourg Institute. So did you get... And yeah, how did your parents feel about that? I, you know, I, I think they understood, you know. I so did you graduate or what? I, I went to the graduation ceremony, but they didn't give me my uh, diploma. Yeah. I hadn't earned it, you know. I, I still had a lot of uh, credits to make up and... Uh, they said you can have it if you go to summer school. <laughs> I'm not doing that. <laughs> Just give me my go? diploma, man. I, I know what if. Let's go to summer school. <laughs> I had to do that once because I fucked up. Uh huh. It's horrible. You summer school? Yeah. How, how many times did you have to do that? One summer. I don't even know if I made it through because I yeah. broke my ankle midway through it. Uh huh. I don't know how the hell I made it through high school. To be honest with you. Uh huh. I just don't know. Like, I, I was so distracted, so bored, and just tired, and disconnected, and very few things held my attention. Well, when, but then you went to, to Boston University, yeah. and you, you, you majored in English, English yeah. literature, yeah. so were, 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 the, were the roots of that in high school, were you not interested in, in, in... I think my senior year of high school, my mind sort of got blown by some stuff, you know, like I took a poetry class, I started hanging around the university, and I, you know, it started uh, hanging around this bookstore, you know, so my mind started to get blown a little bit, you know, in the last couple of years of high school. And I, I also started to panic in the last year of high school that I wasn't going to, I thought I wasn't going to go to college. I was like, fuck it. And, and I was kind of pissed off at my parents and this and that. But the last year of college, I was like, I got to get out of here. Or the last year of high school, I got to get out of here. So I locked in. I locked in. You, you and I could, aced it. Ah, uh, like I got straight A's the last year. Wasn't enough to get me into a good school because I ended up going to another school the first year. But it wasn't. You know, I it proved to me that I could do it. That it, everyone was right. That I was just not applying myself. <laughs> so you you applied yourself. Yeah, the last year. And did then you, uh, did you did did some part of you feel like why didn't I do this from the get go? You know, uh, I don't know. You know, I, I've never been good at compartmentalizing learning. You know, like I I just take things in and I and I never. It, it's still hard for me to to realize there's a context to everything. Like even an English degree is something I kind of cobbled together. It was not the agenda. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I took that. I took a lot of film classes, film study classes, and art classes, history, history of photography, and stuff. So I was able to sort of get this art history minor you know like film film crit you know film crit minor 
just because I was interested in things. So I was like, I just wanted to learn some stuff, and then I was able to kind of like, all right, if I do that one and that one, I can major in this thing. Yeah. But I was never very good at writing papers or, you know, I was good at bullshitting, but <laughs> I had a hard time contextualizing things. Like, you know, everything had, it was very life or death with me, you know. It was never, yeah. You never like, you know, this is just how we're learning about the romantic poets. I'm like, no, but these guys are real, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, so did you wait to the last minute to do a lot of things? Yeah, yeah, I still do. I yeah. still do. You? Yeah, you know, I, but I, I think that's a a, a, a a motive, you know, or a, a gets you in it. Modus gets operandi. You in it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. You know, some people really lay stuff out and they prepare and they, you know, they they probably do. Uh, you know, I guess in the fields that you and I are in, um, it's not. No one's saying like you know. It seemed like you didn't do your work uh, two weeks ago. Yeah, so you're gonna show up. And yeah, yeah. There's that adrenaline that comes with with knowing you only have oh yeah five minutes left to do a, sure. a week's worth of work. Yeah, and and also I think that it's about the being present a bit. I mean, obviously you should get you know your ducks in a row if you, <laughs> if things if they need to be in a row. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it, it helps to be organized. Yeah, it helps to be prepared. That was something that Jeffrey Horn always told the students. You know, more than anything other, you know, more than like sense memory or. Uh, uh, he just told people to be prepared. You what know? did that mean? That's a. It, uh, I think it. It, it had. A, it had several meanings. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think he he would uh, say that. Uh, you know, he was unprepared for the opportunities that came his way in in his youth when he was a you know young a, actor, a, a young actor because of uh, uh, drinking and stuff like that. You oh know? yeah, and. Uh, but I think it also applies to just the, you know, having a craft, you know, and having a technique. Sure, get it in place. You yeah. know, once you've done it enough, you, know, you can kind of rely on it a little bit. Yeah. It's not going to leave you hanging. That's right. So that sounds like a guy had some regrets, that guy. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I suppose. Maybe not too many. He's all right? He's all right, yeah. Now, when you do, okay, so you do Lost Angels, and then what happens? Well, how, do you get, how do you get from there? To uh, to Goodfellas. I mean, that was certainly a milestone, and it came a lot earlier yeah. than I. I mean, yeah. I, I, I uh, uh, yeah. You know, when you're when you're, you know, say you want to be in a rock band, you know, sure. it's you know, if you're getting into that when you're, you know, 42, it's a little too late to to expect anything great to happen, right? Yeah, you know, probably. Because it, it's a young man's game, right? Probably. Even when Bob Dylan was writing his greatest material, arguably, he was 22 years old. Yeah. You know, and and the moment has to be seized. Yeah. At that age. Yeah. You know, and, and when you like when I was watching American Graffiti, the reason that the movie had such impact was because of the vitality of these youthful people in the movie. Yeah. You know, so you see, you know, Richard Dreyfuss only had one chance to to channel all of that energy of that age that he was when he made that film. How know? old was he? I, uh, I I guess he maybe he was in his twenties. Let's yeah. say he was in his twenties. Okay, you know. So I I mean I'm grateful that you know Goodfellas happened w when I was nineteen. Yeah, because it would it might have been too late if it was any later than that. Yeah, the, I mean the opportunity wouldn't have come to. You know, you, the the chance to be in Goodfellas only comes around once. Sure. You know, and and uh, and it came around for me, and it was because uh, well, the 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 the, the uh, movie that I did with Ad Rock uh, led to Lost me getting Angels. Lost Angels. That I got an agent at it at, and uh, and then I started getting auditions, and and maybe my third one was for for Goodfellas. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, I mean, I did kind of I brought that 
to them. I said, I just read in a magazine that Scorsese's making a movie out of this book, Wise Guy. And so they looked into it, and the, the first feedback I got from my then agent was that there was nothing in it for me. Yeah. And I thought that made no sense, because it's a New York story, and, you know, this gotta is... Got to be a lot of roles uh, in there. I, I got to, I, you know... Uh, and so um, there did end up being a role that was available. I did go in and read for the casting director, and, and then she did, you know, say, okay, you can come back to meet Marty tomorrow at the Brill Building. I was like, I'm there. This is happening. Yeah. It's happening. Yeah. And so I, I uh, my father helped me with my audition. It was a scene from the movie between uh, Henry Hill and, and uh, Paulie, right after Henry gets out of jail. And uh, You're Paul, reading for who? I was reading the Henry Hill part. Was that what you were going in for? Oh, no. I mean, Ray Liotta already had the part. Right. But, but it was that, that's the scene that they were giving people oh, to, to read. To, I get it. Read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so... Uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, two pages long. It wasn't that hard to, you know, I, I was, uh, there was a sense of urgency about mm -hmm. this appointment. And, uh, you know, I really had to steady myself by, uh, for, the, for the, you know, uh, walking into that room and, 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 and seeing him, you know, thinking this is Marty. Gonna, this is going to go down. Yeah. And there he was. He was kind of, he had his back to me when he, he was looking up at something on the wall, but then he turned around and he was like, oh, how you doing? Come on in. What's, what's, uh, what's, so you're, uh. You're in the Lemon Sisters, which was on my resume. It was a, maybe my, the second thing I had done. And, and he goes, they were, yeah, they were editing that uh, right downstairs. And I was like, that's oh, cool. I might, you know, if I'm still in it. He goes, oh, no, I'll, I'll tell you a story about a guy. Uh, who I, I had to cut him out of After Hours. Do you remember that guy? It was his first movie. I had to cut him out. It happens. <laughs> so what are you going to do for us today? I'm like, so then we read the scene. The whole thing went so fast. And, and by the time it was over, it was just like, he was like, good, good. That's great. Yeah. Uh, thanks for coming in. And, and I, I, I couldn't leave. You know, I was sort of yeah. stuck in the door frame. Yeah. <laughs> starting to get really emotional. I uh -huh. said, I got to say that I, uh, I, I wasn't going to, I swore to God, I wasn't going to do this. And I can't not do it. I got to tell, you know, and I told, I was like, I just, I love you. I love you. I love your movies and I love you and I love, it just means so much to me. And, you know, I, yeah. I, I got really kind of, uh, uh, I, I started to have a meltdown uh -huh. somewhat, uh, internally anyway. Yeah. Uh, but but he was just like, ah, oh, it's great. No, 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 that's good. That's good. It's early. It's early in the day. I can use that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> you're, you're, you're cracking your heart open, and he's and he was like, uh, you know, I got uh, <laughs> got to get on with my day a little bit. Yeah, no, you know, Thanks, a, a, a little flattery and early in the morning is just just you know yeah, yeah. Uh, what he needed. Yeah, and, and uh, uh, an hour later, I I, I got uh, I, I got hired, which is uh, you know, and uh, he knew what part he wanted you to be. Yeah, yeah, and I, I I knew what part I was I was reading for, you know. I knew, but it was, that was not the scene you did with him, or no, it was no, right. That, that wasn't the. Yeah, there was really nothing for for the the Michael character to read, right? You know, so it, it, it was fun stepping into Henry Hill's shoes and pretending I was reading for that. But more so, it was fun just to be with him, I guess. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He he he's he's just you know he he has an energy. He invented it. He yeah. invented New York cinema in a way. He did, yeah. I, I I would agree with that. You and, know, yeah. Like uh, uh, and, and you know, once I was on the set, it was so uh, just the having so much access to him, which I did. A lot of people who've worked with him have talked, you know, described a different experience. Uh, 
uh, from the one I had. But yeah. for me, I, I just, he was always the most approachable person on the set. I mean, that might have had, had something to do with me being 19 or 20 years old uh-huh. and just being a kid and not knowing any better. I, and I, I didn't have, I didn't uh, recognize any boundaries. Uh-huh. And I was so drawn to him and I yeah. wanted to, I wanted to know things. Yeah. I, like I had to know certain things like what like i had to know what the music was in mean streets that comes on <laughs> after yeah. uh johnny boy throws the dynamite off the roof those are the kind of things you need to know. yeah and it was then i told him like can i ask you and he, uh, the spanish music that because oh yeah that was a uh, ritmo sabroso by uh, ray barreto i used one of his songs on my, my first uh, film who's that knocking at my door uh-huh. uh el watusi i'll make a tape of it for you and he did he <laughs> sent me a two <laughs> Uh, two weeks after I was finished with the job, I got a, a cassette tape in the uh, mail with a note from his uh, assistant saying, Marty asked me to, to send this to you. And it had uh, two songs by Ray Barreto on it, El, El Watusi and uh, uh, Ritmo Sabroso. Which was the one he used from the, the dynamite, the post-dynamite. Yes, that dun dun the dun 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 But for me, that was like Nirvana, getting to... Uh, receive that information, you know, uh, uh, because I'm, I'm, I'm just obsessed with music, and I and I'm I'm obsessed with his obsession with music, mm-hmm. and I and I feel like he's more than a filmmaker. He's like a DJ, and his all the music in his films, as we know, you know, are just so. You know, it's like a perfect marriage between, you know, music and cinema. Oh, Goodfellas is a masterpiece. Just, you know, minute after every, from wall to wall. I I watch it all the time. I mean, I, (laughs) I, I watch it at least twice a year, I think. Yeah, that's that's, you? that's that's about my average. <laughs> Maybe once a year, but it's uh, it's. I watch always... Casino once a year, but Goodfellas twice, <laughs> probably. Yeah, I, I I I I'm I'm with you. I I, uh, I ran into Ray Liotta a couple of years ago out here for a, an event at the Bev, at the um, Bel Air Hotel. Yeah, it was, a, it was a cocktail reception for Hugo. Right. Uh, so everyone. Uh, showed up for this thing who'd ever been in a Scorsese film you know I said you remember me I played your brother in Goodfellas he goes yeah 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 yeah. how's it going I'm like yeah great you know you were um, you were really great in that movie (laughs) (laughs) Goodfellas I haven't seen even because we hadn't seen each other since we were on the set and it's it's like it's great it's like so long ago it's a classic now you know it's a classic right because he said he never watched it after uh, the the, uh, what you saw that in an interview or something no I asked him I said you've do you do you watch Goodfellas? He goes, I've only seen it once. Yeah, I saw the premiere. And that was it. Like really? Wow, I feel stupid. I've seen it like a hundred times. You know, <laughs> yeah. most people have d- seen it. Ha- do watch it a lot, and you've only seen Ray Liotta's only seen Goodfellas once. Why do you Why do you think? Did you ask him why? Uh, I don't think he's that interested. You know, in 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 looking at himself. Uh, uh. You know, like uh, he he doesn't seem to. I I don't know if there is a, a movie that he. <laughs> You know that he's so. Uh, I don't. I don't know if he's the kind of guy who gets that sentimental about about movies. Yeah, I guess that's true. Like I like when you do. How often do you watch some other movies? Been in a, you know dozens of movies. Oh, I I, I like to. I, I know just how he feels. You know. Uh, sure, but I, that movie's a masterpiece. That thing's a. Oh know. yeah, yeah. No, it works. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's sure. it's kind of like a. Um, it's uh, it's it's foolproof. You know, you can't not watch it. Yeah. It's just so. 
masterfully put together. Do you feel good about your work in that movie? Not really, no. But, it, the, but, but do you think that you do you watch and go like, yeah, I could have said I'm stirring it differently? Kind of, you know, <laughs> or, or I could have changed the line or I could have, but I was so, you know, on my best behavior, uh-huh. which can be the worst you know approach well that was uh, your, that was your like the, your first big movie yeah i mean i didn't feel there wasn't a whole lot of excitement in 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 my work in that film i was having too much fun in between takes talking to, to, to marty to marty and what else did you ask him what were the other compulsive sort of like needs that needed to be like like i i said how where like what was mean when did mean streets take place and he goes, it takes place in the early 60s. I'm like, okay, because it came out in the early 70s, and no one ever says when it is. And he goes, yeah, no, it is the, it is the early 60s. Huh. And I, I was like, that's, I'm, because it, I can, that makes so much sense to me right. now. Yeah, yeah, because uh, everyone associates it with the 70s. Yeah, you know, like there's even a line in the movie where uh, one of the Carradine brothers is like a Vietnam veteran, and you know David Proval, he the guy, he starts to freak out and goes, hey, "Jerry, you you you're back in America now. You're back in America." So is that Bobby Carradine? Who was it? Uh, yeah, he's too young. It, Which it, is, wasn't it, David? Was it Keith? K- K- Keith. Keith. Yeah. 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 He's yeah. the one who's like, I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, Kaitel goes, well, "Go ahead. What do you want me to hold it for you?" Yeah. <laughs> um, but just, just the, all the, the minutia of, of the film. Like, mm-hmm. I, I just wanted to, 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 I was always going up to sneaking up behind him, you know? Yeah. What, what, what is this? You another question about me? What do you, like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He goes, no, oh, I'm only kidding. I'm looking. What, what do you want to know? <laughs> and I was like, I, I, tell me, you know, I was just always feeding off of, uh, yeah, yeah. but he's so, you know, he's so game, or he was for me. I don't know. Uh, he, he indulged me. He really did. Uh, He's probably happy to have uh, you on the set. Someone mm. who was that excited about it, young guy. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I guess. Did you I, have any contact with him after before? Like, well, you did. You were in The Departed too, right? Yeah, yeah. That uh, it, it was. You know, I, I had the privilege of, of being in two of his. You know, getting to do that twice. Uh, and did you and pester him again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I, it was it was like not a day had gone by. I, I was twenty. Oh, I was sixteen years older. Yeah, and I felt just like that uh, kid again. Uh, and and I I said, so Marty, did you uh, you know Cream is getting back together? He goes, I know. I was I was going to go to that show, but I couldn't. I was in pre production for this, and uh, I said, so yeah. So hey, listen, let me ask you something. I know. Uh, Sajat uh, Ray, the uh, uh, Indian director. You know, when I, I said there was a, there's a scene in, in one of his movies where there's all these uh, these Indian uh, uh, musicians they're playing bagpipes, they're wearing kilts, and he was like, "Yeah, that was the, the Apu trilogy." The, you know, he, he remembered the scene yeah, exactly, yeah. and and uh, I was like, "Well, what's up with that?" I mean, you know, like that drone, that that bagpipe drone, and the the sitar kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, every culture, you know, discovers that. At some point or another, they sort of have a, you know, they they find that if they take a, a, a stomach lining of an animal, dry it out, and a couple of months go by, and then they hit it and it goes, Ooh, oh, they're like, oh, wow, that happens in every 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 culture over over the the centuries. That wasn't even the question you were asking, really. Yeah, no, it was. It, it just we worked ourselves up into a. He gets very, you know, often, you know, uh, the first AD would have to come over and break it up. Oh, really? Because you were just he's going. He's like, uh, we're ready to go here. This shots all set up. Uh, uh, but he was, you know, I asked him about. I know everybody knows you're a Rolling Stones guy, but what do you think of the Beatles? 
And he goes, I love the Beatles. I, you know, I've just never been able to use any of their, their music in, in my films. But uh, but he ended up using uh, John Lennon's song in that movie. You I, like Leonardo? You guys friends? Yeah, I had fun working with him. We we, we had a good time. Yeah. I, I Although I did have to break the ice. Yeah. You know, I met him on an airplane uh, uh, right before he went to work on Gangs of New York. Uh-huh. And uh, we had a mutual friend, Michael Rappaport. Yeah. So that's how I How's started. How's he doing? Uh, Michael's doing pretty good. He, good. He's, he's great in, on an episode of uh, Louis? Louis. Yeah, yeah. I haven't, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. He's, he says, he, I, I was, I, I just finally caught up with that, watched that a, a week ago. I, yeah. I, I, I was, he, he was tremendous in that. Uh, he's doing okay. But yeah, I like Leo. I, he's a sweet guy. He was. Uh, we we had a. He, he. I drew him out. I got him to talk about some stuff, and it was kind of interesting, you know. Yeah, in, I think you should things. do a, a, a movie of just uh, like you and and Marty Scorsese. But it has to be. He has to be doing other things. <laughs> I would do it if he would act in the movie. Like I would love to see a Scorsese movie where he was the star of the movie. Yeah. I mean, he's. I think he's a really underrated actor well, based on the the cab scene in taxi driver that and also he edited a part in that movie guilty by suspicion oh yeah yeah he played van gogh in a, a kurosawa film called dreams he also had a, a little a moment in uh, king of comedy as the uh, as the director the director the tv director <laughs> it's funny it's funny yeah and he was a, he played an agent in uh, the uh, dexter gordon movie round midnight uh-huh. he's a great actor yeah, yeah and he's really funny he's uh, like one of the funniest people you could ever meet he's just so he sh- it's like he should be a stand-up comic he's like gilbert godfrey or something uh-huh. he's just so the character um do you talk to him outside of uh socially in any way no never i i never I, I, the last time i saw him was at that thing for uh hugo, P- hugo. Uh-huh. i uh i i was you know sort of uh competing for you know the next moment with marty from everybody wanted to talk to him it was like the uh State of the Union address where the, right. the president can't leave the building without shaking 2,000 hands yeah, and yeah, yeah. having a moment with each and every one of these people. And uh, I remember uh, 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 Franny Leibovitz and I were, were looking at each other like as if to say, I'm I'm next. <laughs> I'm next. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's like you, no, yeah. Well, you, you made a movie about you, you a documentary film about you. Uh, you but when I when I finally got to to talk to him, yeah, at that event, I I I, uh, I was telling him how much I enjoyed living in the material world, the George Harrison documentary. I said that's just fabulous. What a great great movie that was. Uh, I think you really nailed it with that movie. And he's like, yep, yep, that that's the one. <laughs> <laughs> and he moved on and I couldn't tell whether he was like you should be saying about the, about my, my current film <laughs> Not about, that's my last one but that uh, was a documentary he did about George Harrison yes I didn't see it you know leave it to him to make the best Beatle movie you know hmm. uh, I think I saw that he did a Dylan movie he did yeah where I watched that uh, uh, No Direction Home yeah. I, I loved when he was on a I forget what talk show Charlie Rose or something, and they were asking it. They asked him, "Like, what's the so? What's the significant significance of the title? No direction home. What do you think it is? It's, it's song, right? Yeah. But the way he put it, well, you know, no direction home. Just it's like we're constantly looking for a home as artists, as people, as just living our life. You know, we're always looking for home. You know, and I think we, we eventually we we finally find it when we die. Hmm. <laughs> And then we're finally home. <laughs> how did Charlie handle that? How did he, yeah, how did he in, in his usual way. You field know. that question. 
I know that uh, that you did this. You did grounded for life forever. For that was a long time, right? Yeah, that that, that was a uh, that was a while back. It's all it's it's resurfaced now on a on a Netflix. So yeah, so people are hearing about it again. Uh, yeah, yeah. That that was a big job, though. Do you like working TV too? Uh, yeah, I, I did. I, I had to. I, I did enjoy it. Yeah, you know, it's. Just, uh, um, I, I I'd, I'd been on a show in the, with Malcolm McDowell in a, in '97 or something. It was a multi-camera mm-hmm. show, and and I didn't have. Uh, I, 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 I that whole way of working was so new to me at the time, and I I didn't have a lot of fun and. I never thought I would go back to doing that again, but then Grounded for Life came along, and you know that was kind of a fifty-fifty experience. But Donald was there, and I don't know if you know Donald Logue, but yeah. he's he's a, he's, a, he's a great guy, and 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 uh, he uh, I don't know, I, I would have lost my mind if it weren't for him. He was very. How's he uh, doing? He's I think he's doing pretty good. He's he's got so many things going on. Uh, He's on that show Gotham. Is that still on? Uh, uh, oh, he was on. A, I don't know what's on television. Sons of Anarchy. You know. Uh, yeah, he uh, always seems to be working. He's like you. You guys always seem to be working. Yeah, the sort of journeyman actors. Well, how come? Uh, what about music then? You know, I mean, you you, you seem like a, a freak for it, and you play some. I, I know. I just downloaded the 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 album that you did with. Uh, crystal robots band yeah that guy it's mainly all the music in that in that project is written by uh, a guy from new york named daniel harnett mm-hmm. and uh um he he had a band in the in the like early mid 90s called glim and they had a a, they, a residency at a club on saint mark's place called chenay and actually jeff buckley made his new york debut sitting in with them and with and glim with glim and daniel and jeff kind of rubbed off on each other daniel has a very uh impressive vocal range uh-huh. you know and and he's a uh prolific songwriter you know i mean he's just uh, uh and, and and i i've never heard one that i didn't like i i sort of met him more through the acting circles but i became a real fan of his music and and uh, I, I began archiving it. Uh, I mean, he just has like a thousand songs. Wow! And uh, do you or, have a label? No, it's just us. You know, self-released. Uh, but um, I I started to say you should turn these these cassette demos into full songs, like full studio production. So I I got really I threw myself into, you know, making a a, a real album with him. And uh, uh, so we've done two so far. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I kind of threw myself into the role of, you know, pseudo manager slash producer, you know, mm-hmm. not knowing anything about either of those mm-hmm. things, but figuring that never stopped Brian Epstein. Sure. You know? <laughs> yeah. So you're sitting I, on a real gold mine, huh? Yeah. It was like, I, you know, <laughs> someone should, because he's just, he's like, you know, Daniel is a bit like the character Oscar Isaac plays in uh, Inside Lewin Davis, uh-huh. you know? Uh, and he's... You know, I've taken Daniel with me to see Bob Dylan twice because uh-huh. I just wanted to be in the same room with the two of them, just huh. to to say I did it. You know, how long ago did you see Dylan? I saw uh, saw him last November at the Beacon Theater. How was he? He was great. I think he's great. You know, uh, it's hilarious to me that he released a, that Sinatra record. Yeah, and like you know, for the last decade, he's been playing live and undecipherable. In some ter- and now like he puts a record out where he, cl- he clearly can still sing and he can clearly you know deliver phrasing 
Yeah. It's just that for, he just apparently gets on stage and it's like, how do you see him and not be like, is that a big fuck you? Is that a decade of like, you want this shit? Well, I'm going to garble through it. Yeah, I you know he 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 kind of he's you know I, I he I think he thinks of himself as a well it's like he said in that old film I'm a song and dance man. No, I get know? that. And I get that. He's an actor, you know, and uh he he's just found a, a new script to play with this the Sinatra songbook, you know, and and he has a wonderful voice. He his the last song of the evening was you know like uh, like nothing else the, the rest of the show. He came out and played, you know, I don't know, Strangers in the Night or something and sat at the piano and crooned and it was like who knew that dylan could sing like that uh and sure enough he had a whole album on the way of of uh material like that it's yeah you know it's uh i think it's a little hit and miss some some songs would come off better than others but just that he wants to do that that his creative appetite led him in that hilarious direction it's that like you know you could see him some nights and not know what fucking song he's playing or singing <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and yet he can still do it. Yeah, no, it's I, a choice. Yeah, sure, sure. It's it's it's. I went to see him uh, uh, a year before the Beacon show at uh, the Mohegan Sun Arena. We drove up there, and you know, I thought that was going to be a bust because it was a casino and yeah. it was just like uh, it's a nice. It's I've been up there it's for as for those type of casinos. It's a pretty nice place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 that that ended up being a great show. There was a little. It took him about five or six songs to get into a groove. Uh huh. He looked really frustrated after the end of every tune with his band. Really? He just kept kicking his piano chair away and 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 really then coming back and starting the next song. And uh, but then something happened around the sixth tune. It was called the the, the tune uh, "Not Dark Yet, But Getting There." Uh, from a what's that a, from time out of mind time or something out of mind, like that yeah. there was something that just settled in yeah you know they kind of found their moment he's like a you know a method actor you know in, in that way who else do you, you go know? see I, I've seen some pretty cool shows over the years I've gone to see people that I really wanted to see like I, I saw Ravi Shankar twice really once at Carnegie Hall in 98 and I saw him at UCLA uh, in 2000 just sitting there with his sitar and his daughter you know plays yeah. the sitar as well uh, uh, the the, uh, the Carnegie Hall show was just tremendous you know i mean they take that f you know first half hour tuning up yeah they, they always get applause for tuning up really uh, i've never shows. seen the sitar show yeah it gets it's it's purely improvisational so i mean you it's maybe i used to do a joke about it it was one of my favorite jokes <laughs> about that? like um the, the setup of the joke was uh you know um out of out of protest for you know, I went out and bought an album by a band. I don't remember what the reference was. I didn't even want to buy it. I just got bullied into it by listening to the radio. You know, I didn't really, and it bothered me that it, that I'd been hijacked like that. Yeah. So I went and returned that CD, and I got a CD of traditional Indian music. And I said, uh, "Yeah, okay, you can judge me, you can laugh, but um, there's a song on there, half an hour long." <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "It takes ten minutes for the drums to kick in." <laughs> but then I said, but if you're really listening, they couldn't come in a second sooner. <laughs> uh, you know what was great? During the show, I saw the, the he actually broke a string. 
Oh, no shit. Uh, Aren't there like, how many strings on a sit there? It's a lot, right? Oh, yes. I don't know how many, <laughs> but there's a lot. lot. It's, it's kind of a big deal to, to break a <laughs> string on a sitar. Uh-huh. You know, uh, it, it took a while to, to replace it, but in the meantime, he let the tabla player have a solo. Sure, man. And that was, that was tremendous, uh, whoever that guy was. Yeah. Uh, it was remarkable. What Someone knows who he is. Yeah, someone out there knows what. So, uh, right now, you mentioned that. Oh, he's talking about David. <laughs> yeah, I remember he looked a little bit like Donovan. You know? Oh yeah, uh, white guy. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He looked. He I had, love to see. I saw a white sitar player once at a small Indian restaurant, like on Sixth Avenue. There, Sixth Street, Sixth Street. It's a white guy, older guy. He must have been like thirty or forty. <laughs> and I, I remember I said, "It's got to be a lot of troubling calls home." You know. You're like, <laughs> Like, yeah, I got another gig, ma. <laughs> I was at a yeah. different Indian restaurant. It's, a different <laughs> oh, it's a heartbreaking, but I, I, I seem to be enjoying himself. Yeah, you you gotta. I mean, you you gotta commit. You gotta love it. You gotta want it. Do you got? Will you play guitar? Yeah, yeah. I, I, you I do a little in the movie. Results. You noodling around. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, Did they tell you like, don't play anything we can identify? I, I think yeah. There was a little, yeah. a little bit of that. Yeah, yeah, they did say that. Yeah. Now I'm remembering. Yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I was 13 when I sort of w- went uh, and decided I, I, I wanted a guitar. But you know, my parents were like, this, you know, look, the acting thing is one thing. All right. Given you a year to figure that out, we're not getting you a guitar. Really? <laughs> so, um, I mean, they didn't put it in those words, but it was—I I just never got one until uh, until I was nineteen, and then I had my own means of. You of, had to wait six years, and then I finally got like a, a, a an acoustic guitar. Yeah, it was a a BC Rich, a BC Rich acoustic. Yeah. Huh. A friend of mine out in Astoria said, I, I got a guitar I can sell you if you really want, you know? And uh, it kind of, that's a, that guitar went around. It changed hands over the years. Yeah, there's a few of mine are out there. Yeah. Yeah. What was? How long have you been playing? Since I was like 12. Wow. 11 or 12. Who did yeah. you want to be? Who did you want to sound like? Or who, who was? I, you know, I, I think I've gotten better in the last five or six years. Like I, you know, I, I never had the discipline to learn leads or stuff. Yeah. You know, and I, and like for years, I just played. My mother just would say, "Go practice, go practice," and and I just knew chords and stuff. And then when I was in uh, high school, I started taking lessons from a guy who showed me pentatonic scales. And then I just wanted to sound like, uh, you know, I just wanted to know how to play that Chuck Berry thing, that beginning, that Chuck Berry beginning, you know. And some kid showed me that in high school, and I was like, oh, my God, that's the best thing I've ever experienced in my life was knowing how to play that. But I could have figured it out. I just never took much time to figure it out. And then, uh, you know, I just never stopped playing, really. But now, like, I play a lot, and I, you know, I try to play with people. And I I don't know what I'm, what I, the sound I like now is uh, like you know these this, these pedal people they I, Earthquaker sends me all these pedals because they sponsor sometimes right so and that was always anti pedal I like just overdriving an amp mm-hmm. like a little Fender amp and uh, and just getting that dirty sound out of it I used to be a Fender guy just clean as fuck mm-hmm. Strat clean Strat clean Tele not much dirt on it but then I start playing this little uh, Gibson Les Paul Junior and it sound like Johnny Thunders and I'm like is that easy to make this guitar sound like that all I gotta do is dirty this up and that's a Johnny Thunders guitar yeah. and I was like that's pretty cool so then I started getting into Gibsons a little bit 
Oh, no. <laughs> you know, and I and I and I like a I like dirty like, but still just with pretty basic tube overdrive, not too many effects. Yeah, I'm not a great player, but I, I when I play, I tend to play rock and blues mm-hmm. and some uh, some country stuff, and you know, but I don't play out a lot, but I'll noodle all the time. What about you? Um, when I when when I play guitar, I. I, I've I've had you know f- f- you know a handful of, of buddies over the years who who play drums uh-huh. and we just get together at a you know f- you know a funkadelic or you know a cheap you know studio studio yeah. and, and just jam for two hours yeah improvising on, on just guitar and drums so it comes out like a, like a real punk uh-huh. uh huh. <laughs> there's a sort of metal kind of muted chords and just grooves you know I, I, I mean I, I can't lick either I can't solo but I, I love rhythms and I love drones and I love you, you like know, Endless Boogie? the John Lee Hooker? no yeah. no the band you ever heard of oh Endless? no no you don't I know them? don't know them it's an old dude old dude from the <laughs> island from Long Island I think they're from Long Island oh alright and it's like uh, it's just sort of like swampy kind of uh, hard rock groove. Oh, wow. I'll play it for you if you want. Yeah, I would love that. I love that style. I love you know you know I love like um, the, I guess a so-called sort of punk blues uh-huh. sound like like a uh, um, uh, John Spencer blues yeah. explosion. He's good. Yeah. Or um, there was that band. Uh, um, Gun Club. Sure, I love them. Jeffrey Lee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that I like that sound a lot. That's a great sound. Yeah, sure, uh, man. Um, and, and uh, I, I love you know. Oh God, I, 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 I like Black Sabbath a lot. Glad, me too. You know, when I got it took late. I didn't come to them till later. Mm-hmm. Like you know, like within the last decade, I was already in my forties. Oh, like I didn't grow up liking them. Mm-hmm. But now, like Sabbath sounds good. Those <laughs> records sound good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On vinyl, sure. At the end of the day, that sort of comes down to it's just like sort sure, of. Uh, uh, yeah, you're, my, my friend George and I, the guy in the story of sometimes we get together and to, to cleanse the palate. Sure, man. We'll put on, uh, you know, of. Uh, uh, Symptom of the universe, or yeah. what was that other song? Uh, Confusion. The, uh, so the uh, I think it's track three on sabotage. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what the hell is it? Uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> it's it's it just starts out with a. With a you play it on vinyl. No, uh, over at his place, we just listen to I, it. You on know, the I do computer. that too, man. Me and my buddy. I used to when I was uh, in college, my freshman year of college. Me and this kid from Scarsdale, actually, Cliff. We used to do this thing called the ACDC Cruise where we we had I had a tape, this mixtape of Bon Scott ACDC. And we'd just get a couple of 40s and get in the car. <laughs> and we'd drive until we finished the 40s listening to ACDC. <laughs> just nice. loud. I'm, I'm a purist when it comes to like Sabbath and ACDC. I, I really c- can't go past the original singer. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm even weird with the Stones. I, I have a hard time without Bill. I just don't. But like you too. I, I, I'm with you. Huh. I love his bass playing. Oh, you know, best. no one ever raves about Bill Wyman's bass. Playing. You know what you got to do was they Abco just reissued "Get Your Yayas Out." Listen to that fucking record. Yeah, Bill and Charlie are on fire. The entire <laughs> thing would be chaos without him. <laughs> just like it was, I never really noticed it as clear, but this this they're remastered a little, so they're a little more prominent. And it's just like Mick Taylor's great, Keith is great, but like those guys are just like it's all about them. Yeah. It's all about Charlie and Bill. Yeah, it's and they're all business. You know? All business. You know, uh 
Uh, I love John Lennon when he's talking about, you know, what, what Mick Jagger, you know, shaking his ass around, you know. Yeah. It's, but you, not Bill, not Charlie. Those guys got to hold it down so, <laughs> so Mick can indulge so those other guys can... Well, Keith's like that, too. Keith is like, you know, I, I talk to them both for 10 minutes. Yeah. Keith Mick and, and Mick. They call me two separate times. But I only had 10 minutes, and it was tour-specific. But, you know, I talked to them, you know. And it was like, did you read Keith's book? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, it's like yeah. the Bible, right? You read it like the Bible. I don't want this to end, you know. <laughs> and then, uh, but, you know, because I, I asked them both the question. I asked Mick, you know, do you miss Bill? And he goes, I miss his dancing. <laughs> Which is funny. It's funny. It's clever. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then I asked, I asked Keith the same question. He goes, oh, it's been like 25 years. I mean, he's a good bloke, but I mean, I like my baseball. He wouldn't throw the new guy under the bus because Keith just sees it as a band. Like, it's his band. Like, and when you read his book, you're like, it's his band. And mm -hmm. Mick is his singer. That's the way it goes, mm -hmm. you know. So it was a very appropriate answer, very within, in character. Like I like my bass player. Like he doesn't. He it's it's you know it's uh it's it, it move it's you know like if you really think of that band, you know who's come in and out and you know this, this you know and, and and supporting players. But I mean they've had three fucking guitar players, mm -hmm. right? Brian, Ronnie, Mick, Taylor. Yeah. So like it is there is sort of a evolution to it. Yeah. And the supporting players have come and gone, mm -hmm. many of them. I wonder, it's like, you know, the, 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 maybe you would ask maybe Paul McCartney the same thing. Like, how come you don't have Ringo in there playing drums? He's still playing drums, you know. Yeah. You can get him in there to play. He's happy with the guy he has now, you know. It's like you once you get the, an upgrade, you know. I it's, guess it's an upgrade because they end up playing like the other guy anyways. You know, like on, Right. You know, but they're more versatile, I guess. I don't know, but you know it's weird. I don't understand it. Like you know, it's just, it's weird to me too. Even like you, you saying that you know you don't, you never saw you never see Ray Liotta or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like I always assume these guys are such good friends. But you know, I I worked with a guy on the radio for a year once, and we never hung out. And and it's like you know, I I guess it's just a weird thing. Yeah. Who the fuck knows? Right. Yeah. They're not all having a good time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. Uh, someone sent me a. a a picture of Woody Allen, recent picture. Yeah. He's just looks. I'm like, do you think he's as unhappy as he looks in this picture? It's like, who knows? You know, should he be? What's what's it to you? You know, yeah, it's like you, you, you we we like we would like to think that you know all these guys are still. Uh, they, yeah, you're right. They're probably not that close. <laughs> yeah, you know, right? Because I said that. I said you know, I like well, Keith was very funny to talk to him for ten minutes because they're doing this tour, and this was like a month ago. You know, the tour is a month out. I said, you talked to Charlie Watts? He goes, yeah, I talked to him today. I asked him what he was doing. He said he was packing. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny, dude. Oh. So this this new movie, you like it? Yeah, I do. I like it. It seems pretty quirky and interesting. I am looking forward to finishing it. Yeah. I, I like all of this guy's movies. He, he's, he's, this is his fifth one. Uh you know, uh, and probably his most, uh, you know, uh, visible one. Yeah. God, you've been in a lot of fucking movies, dude. Yeah, you know, uh, I didn't have a lot to do in, in, in most of them, but <laughs> when you when you see all those titles, it's kind of like... Yeah. Uh, you were good with Patton in the thing. Oh, I like that. Yeah. yeah. I, I, 
I, I was a big fan of Patton Oswalt yeah. before working on that movie with him. Uh, when I got that script, I read it, and I, I, I they had offered me the part of the friend, and, uh -huh. and uh, I said, I kind of like the lead part. Yeah, and uh, Robert, the director, said, "Yeah, you'd be good, and you'd you'd be good at that." But it, we, I cast it already, so I don't know if you. I was like, "Yeah, I, I'm I'm always the friend, you know. I don't yeah. I don't really know if uh, I don't know." Are you frustrated with that? Um, no, not not. Well, when when he told me who that it was going to be Patton right. as the lead guy, I was like, "Oh, well, I'll I'll be his friend." Yeah, but it's <laughs> interesting. You have had a career of a sort of a second parts and the perennial you know. second banana. Yeah, but do you do do you want to make movies? Do you? I mean, do you, did you direct movies? I directed a, or co-directed. I'm I'm really coming around to the to the admission that I I didn't direct this thing. Uh, the other guy did, but we he was gracious enough to take like a we 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 went on we credited ourselves as co-directors, uh -huh. but he really did everything. Uh -huh. And it was a, 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 a like a low budget kind of period piece based on a, 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 a short story by a guy from the fifties named John McNulty, and he just wrote about drinking and about bars uh -huh. on Third Avenue. He was a real kind of East Side Manhattan guy. He wrote stories for the New Yorker. Mm -hmm. He wrote about like horse betters and cabbies and drinkers and yeah. and uh, uh, and uh, it, it was the easiest. <laughs> way to go was to just like adapt this one story by him about two guys in a bar what was it called it's called two people he never saw uh-huh it's it's on the internet uh it's it's uh me and an actor named nick sandow who's on orange is the new black uh-huh and uh it's pretty long for a short film it's about 25 minutes long and but you know we we uh shot it in this old bar in brooklyn i thought we kind of got at something with it it's kind of hard to adapt that guy's material but uh i i uh I, you know i i i take credit for it i take the blame for it you know Good. uh is something you want to do more of i do i want to have another go at uh at one of that guy's stories i want to make like a kind of a 40s movie what 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 part are you looking for really in your mind when you because you know we started off the conversation by you know you talking about those organic performances of younger actors but also like being you know moved by terms of endearment and it really seemed to have a specific sort of feel to you the role you're always looking for that right role what would you like to do uh you know i i really i, I i'm not sure you okay. know i i, I you have to see it when you'll, you'll know it when you see well it. you know i did kind of i, I the, the, there's a part i played on on this show that's coming up on tnt in august called public morals and it's a it's a it's that's a period piece it's, it's set in 1967 it's about the nyp the public morals division of the nypd in the mid to late 60s and the relationship between the irish gangster underworld and the police department well, that sounds cool i got to play a you know a, a character in that named smitty who's a a, a a bookie you know and uh i you know i i i felt like i was doing what i wanted to do in in that i That's was tapping great. into something i mean I, I i love james cagney and i love the old days you know and uh, and and this kind of got in we got into that a bit you and know? that's I, not quite the 40s but it's you know going it's, back yeah i'm getting there I'm kind it's of, a, yeah right it's I'm a guy dig, i'm still digging my way back oh that's know? great uh, well, okay, well i hope you get there <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah no i'm good i'm good at digging holes getting out of them i uh oh, it's 
going to be another story. And how are your parents enjoying the? Good. They, they, you know, they, they, you know, they, they proud. They like you. Sure, sure. They, 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 uh, they, they get something out of it. Every, Did you? you know, every, I mean, I think. Uh, yeah. It takes a while, doesn't it? <sighs> takes a while for them to come. Like my mother's now, sort of like I saw you on the deal. Like now, I can genuinely hear that she thinks I'm, I've done something. <laughs> Only uh, she's just coming to that last few years. Yeah. 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 Well, that must be gratifying. You know, better late than never. Do you feel that way about it? Or yeah, yeah. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it's nice. It's does, nice. Does she understand exactly what you're doing? Yes, yeah. she listens to the podcast oh, all the time. No, the only way, she claims it's the only way she can uh, know what I'm up to and be with you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it's good. We both, we we both get along with our parents. <laughs> yeah, it's <We're> so boring. <laughs> is it? No, this is great, man. It was good talking to you. You feel good about it? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We sure. picked up pace. Yeah. There was, a, there was a moment of panic there, <laughs> where you're like, "This is going nowhere." No, I, 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 I did. I, I did feel that way. I still feel that way. But you know, I, I'm, I'm always going to feel that way. You know. Was there anything that you, you'd like to? Uh, is there uh, uh, one last thing nice we need job. to do? No, I, I had my shot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> That was, uh, I, I love that guy. He's a great guy. Like I said, I love that movie. I really enjoyed that movie. And now I'm going to, uh, now that this is an uh, e- eternal show between me talking about the Stones, it's not going to stop me from noodling. I have nothing planned here.